you all. And uh, I just thank, thank the Lord for this opportunity to be in His words together. The last couple of times I was here, uh, we had started looking at the Upper Room Discourse. And we looked at the peace that Jesus promised us, the peace that He gives us. And uh, we saw also uh, that that's rooted in His presence in us, His presence in us. And when He tells His disciples that uh, He's going away and coming back again, we often, I've often in the past read through that and just assumed He's speaking of His, uh, his final coming at the end of the ages. But He's speaking to His disciples who have died and, and are now with Him. He was speaking to them and he said, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And then later in that section we looked at this last time, he speaks about sending the Spirit, going back to the Father so that the Spirit might be sent and that he might be with them and in them. Uh, Romans 8 refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Uh, and we know that you know, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, that, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are are one. You know, three guys in one. But we looked at that, the peace that we have with God's presence. And this week we're going to look more specifically at uh, the purpose of His presence in us. So let me just ask the Lord's uh, guidance and His blessing as we look at His Word together. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You have uh, given us all that we need for life, for godliness. We thank you for the, the precious gift of having your word so readily available to us to, to study and to meditate on. And as we look at your word, God, I ask that you would um, bless the words of my mouth and let all the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Jesus promised, Holy Spirit, be our helper and comforter, our teacher. May your spirit fall upon Matthew to guide him as he opens the word. Give him power to teach, to understand. Give us ears to listen and to apply these words of Scripture, especially from John, to our lives with the goal that we would bear fruit and bring glory to you, our, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Upper Room Discourse you know, is chapter 14, and we, I've mentioned uh, in the past that uh, sometimes people consider verse, or chapters 15 and 16 as part of that as well. And of course, it spills in uh, to that. And then Jesus goes into his prayer, known as the High Priestly Prayer in chapter 17. But as it was handed down to us uh, through the, as the Gospel of John, that's all one uh, continuous 
uh, one continuous passage. So I'm going to be uh, looking at different sections of that as, as we focus in on um, the, the passages we read just a few minutes ago. And uh, I want to start by just asking the question, what was the son's purpose? What was the son's purpose? The son, meaning Jesus, the, the God, the son, what was his purpose? And if you look at the beginning of his prayer, the first petition that he makes to the father in chapter 17, he says, He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. So the purpose of the Son was to glorify the Father. That's his first petition. And it's, it's interesting that he says, uh, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. So how is it that the glorifying of the Son brings glory to the Father? Well, I want to stop. I want to start by asking the question, what is, what is glory? What is glory? Well, glory, the glory of something, is, is the splendor of a thing, right? You have a, a precious uh, diamond and it, and it shines and sparkles and you see, you see this glory in that. Or we look at a beautiful sunset and we say, it's glorious. The glory is, is the splendor, the, the brilliance, the shining, the magnificence, the majesty of a thing. So when we talk about God's glory, we're talking about the, the majesty, the, the brilliance, the, the, the shining, the, the, the magnificence of God himself. The character, the essence of who God is being, uh, being tangibly uh, expressed or expressed in a way that, that we can perceive. And that's the glory of God. You recall when, when his glory fills the temple of Solomon after that, that temple is finished being constructed, the glory fills the temple and they see the smoke, a cloud descending, and they see uh, the, the, uh, the smoke and, and it says that the, the train of his robe filled the temple. And that's, that's the, the glory of God is this something that's, that's, that's uh, perceived uh, by the, the, the viewer. And the glory of God is that, that the essence of God being expressed, his, his, the, the, the perfection of all of his beauties being expressed. So when, when Jesus prays, glorify, when he says, um, Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. How does the son glorify the father? Well, to glorify is to make the glory known. So if, if the father is making the glory of Jesus known, again, the question is, how is that making the glory of the father known? Well, those... That, that question can be answered as we look at our, our sermon text here in John 14. When, when uh, Jesus says in verse 7 of, of chapter 14, he says, If you had known me, 
you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip says, oh, this is great. Show us the father. And then Jesus responds, have you been with me so long? It's kind of a strange thing to, to respond with if Philip's saying, well, show us the father. And Jesus says, have you been with me so long? Well, he continues and says, uh, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And in verse 10, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? And we can think about what, what the, the book of Hebrews tells us in the first three verses of chapter 1. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at the first three verses here. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The brightness of his glory. Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. He is the express image of the Father's person. So that's why Jesus, and later in the discourse, he says, uh, whoever hates me hates the Father because Jesus is the expression of the Father to the world. And so we, we can understand a little bit more now when Jesus prays his first petition in that great high priestly prayer in chapter 17. He says, glorify your Son. Let the glory of the Son shine so that the Father would be glorified, so that the people would see the glory of the Father in him. We can understand the purpose of Jesus coming to, to glorify the Father, to make the glory of the Father known, so that as we see the glory of Jesus, we are beholding the glory of the Father. So to know Jesus and to see him is to see the Father, as he said to Philip. Look in uh, chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 10. So if we look at verse 10, it says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He says, The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. The words that I speak, I do not speak on my own authority. In other words, the words that I speak are the words that the Father gave me. So we understand here that Jesus' words are the words of the Father to us. And then he continues um, in 11. He says, The Father who dwells in me does the works. So then the works of Jesus, what Jesus does is the works of the Father. In uh, chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus says, 
If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen, they've seen what? They've seen the works that I have done, Jesus is saying. Those who have rejected him and have hated him. Remember, he said, those who hate me hate my father also. He says, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So we understand from this that the works that Jesus does is also the works of the father. So as we hear the word of Jesus and we see the works of Jesus, we're hearing the words of the father and seeing the works of the father. Those that saw the works of Jesus, those that saw him healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, feeding the 5,000 with food, feeding the 5,000 with his teaching, those that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, those that heard him or even received his rebukes, uh, the thinking of the, the Pharisees, Jesus rebuking them, all of these were the works and the words of the Father. So when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we understand that we're seeing the glory of the Father in Jesus. In, uh, in the high priestly prayer, chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name. I have manifested or revealed your name. We think about the name of the Lord, the strong tower. The name is representative of God himself, of who God is. I have manifested or revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. He says, I have manifested your name. So Jesus has revealed the Father to us. So Jesus glorifies the Father in revealing the Father through his words and through his works. Now, in that high priestly prayer in verse 10, Jesus says something else. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So now Jesus is saying, I am glorified in them. My glory is seen in my people. Um, he says, now I am no longer in the world. And this is after he's told them, I'm going back to the Father. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. So he says, I am glorified in them. And in verse 22 of chapter 17, <clears throat> Jesus says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So we see, as uh, George was alluding to earlier in the Sunday school, this, this union with, with Christ when we're, we're brought into union with him, that we, are, are, uh, we, we become vessels of his glory. And that is incredible, that Jesus would be glorified in us, that Jesus the Son is, is petitioning the Father, that he might be glorified in us. How is he glorified in us? 
by His presence in us. By His presence in us. In uh, Going back to chapter 14, <clears throat> in verse 20, Jesus says, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And again, we spoke about this last time about the presence of God in us. The more powerful and permanent presence of Christ in us, which is why he told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go back to the Father. It's to your advantage I go back to the Father because my presence will be in you in a more powerful and permanent way than it was even when his disciples walked with him on this earth. So he says, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And what does he mean by at that day? Well, verse 20 is, is the conclusion of uh, what he talks about in verses 15 through 18 in chapter 14, where he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. Right? He's just saying, I'm going back to the Father, but I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So in sending the Spirit, Jesus is taking up residence in us. <clears throat> so and then he says, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And you can think about Pentecost, when you had the outpouring of the Spirit on His people, and this this indwelling uh, of the Spirit, so the very presence of Jesus in us gives us this um, gives us something something much more than even the disciples had when they walked with him. Because Jesus had not yet been uh, ascended to the Father, and the Spirit had not yet been given in its fullness. So, the Father is glorified in the Son. The Son brings glory to the Father and reveals the glory of the Father to the world. And Jesus is glorified in us as his presence dwells in us. And so, uh, considering these things, this brings us to this rather astonishing verse, or a couple of verses, in chapter 14, which is part of the sermon text. Look at uh, chapter 14, verses 12 and 13, where Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, these are very striking and, and astonishing words of Jesus. He says, the works that I do, he will do also, who, who, he who believes in me. And not only that, but he continues, 
and greater works than these he will do. How could we possibly do greater works than Jesus? Who's ready to say, I do greater works than Jesus did? <laughs> it's very striking. But what Jesus continues with the word because gives us a clue. He says, because I go to my Father. Greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And what follows is those several verses we just uh, read a moment ago where Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. He dwells with you and will be in you. So the, the, the giving of the spirit at Pentecost, I believe, is the key to understanding what Jesus means by even greater works than these he will do. Um, or because I go to my Father and Jesus went to his Father to be glorified as he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, being crowned the King of kings and Lord of lords, and then the Spirit being poured out from the Father and the Son upon his people. So if you think about Pentecost, and Dr. Henry Krabendam, uh helped me to understand this when he said, if you look at what happened there, as the Spirit was poured out, you had thousands gathered and in one moment, with Peter's preaching being full of the Spirit, preaches, and all these people are convicted to the heart and say, what must we do to be saved, right? And how many thousands came to know the Lord and came uh, to, to also be indwelt by the Spirit on that, that day? And comparing that to Jesus' earthly ministry, how often did Jesus uh, preach and have thousands come to true conviction of sin and come to be born again of the spirit not much right the crowd that followed him he said you're only following me because you get food <laughs> right and you come to see the miracles but you're you're still still have hard hearts so so we see something different now that we have the spirit than even jesus uh saw when he was in his earthly ministry here, um, when he was on earth uh, bodily. But there's another clue in here that helps us to understand what he means by greater works than these he will do. As if we say, well, something still doesn't seem right about us doing greater works than Jesus. But he says, if you look more closely, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So when we ask the Lord for something, Jesus says, I will do it. So when Peter was preaching to, to those uh, at, gathered at Pentecost, it says he was full of the Spirit. Who was preaching? It was Peter, right? Peter was preaching, but he was full of the Spirit. Whose Spirit? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Christ. So he was preaching, full of the Spirit, and who actually did the works? Who saved? Did Peter save the people? No, who was it? It was God himself. It was the Lord Jesus 
Remember in the, the very beginning of the book of Acts, it says uh, the, the author, uh, who we know to be Luke, says, uh, in my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Not all that Jesus did and taught, but all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is that Jesus was continuing to do and to teach. And the, books, the book of Acts is really, uh, as I heard one pastor say once, is not so much the Acts of the Apostles, although it, in a way it is, but it's really the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles by the power of the Spirit. So when, when we understand that Jesus is saying, greater works than these that I, I've been doing, you will do. He's saying that I'm going to do these works through you as I go back to the Father and send the Spirit. And here's the other key to this. This other uh, perplexing statement of Jesus when he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Now, we're all familiar with more prosperity gospel types of presentations that say, well, if you just have enough belief, enough faith, or you just name it and claim it, you can have that, that good job that you want. You can have that nice car that you want. You can have that, um, you know, whatever it is that you're desiring. If you just claim it and believe, you will have it, right? Jesus said, ask whatever you want in my name and I will do it. But that can't be what Jesus says, right? There are many times that we've prayed for something and we have not received an affirmative answer. There's many times in my own life I have prayed for something that I desired and the answer has not come back in the affirmative. And even the Apostle Paul himself, 1 Corinthians 12, the thorn in the flesh, what did, what did he pray? He says, I prayed three times that the Lord would do what? Take that away, right? Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name that I will do, but what did the fathers come back to, to Paul and say? He said, no. Why? Because he didn't have enough faith? No, he says, because my, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is sufficient for you because my power is perfected in your weakness. So here we understand that... Uh, Continuing on that statement that Jesus makes, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what's the purpose for Jesus doing in response to our prayers? That the Father may be glorified. So is what we're asking bringing glory to the Father? Is it bringing glory to the Son who brings glory to the Father? So, and if it's truly going to bring glory to him, he will do it. He will do it. And this takes us into uh, the other passage, the other portion of this Upper Room Discourse that we read as a part of the sermon text in chapter 15, the vine and the branches. Jesus Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, 
and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So, this is also helps us to understand that, um, that striking statement that Jesus says, Ask whatever you will in my name, and, it, and I will do it. If we compare that to what Jesus says in this analogy of the vine and the branches, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Where do our desires come from? If we are abiding in Christ, and Christ is abiding in us, and His Spirit is in us, what will be our desire? What will our, what will our desires be? The more we abide in God's Word, the more we abide in Christ, the more our desires are conformed to His desires. In Romans, the Romans passage we read earlier in this service, uh, Jesus, or the, the word to us is that the Spirit makes intercession for us. This is the, in verse 20, Romans 8, 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit uh, helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. How many... How many times have, have you been able to relate to that? I don't know what, what I ought to pray for. But the Spirit knows, right? The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So as the Spirit of Christ abides in us and we abide in Him, our desires become conformed with His desires. And He leads us and guides us in knowing what His desires are, how Jesus might be glorified. And we pray according to that, that the Father might be glorified. Let me read that 15.7 one more time, and we'll continue in verse 8. If you abide in Me, if you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified. Again, it's going back to the glory of God, that, the, that God might be glorified. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. So the bearing of fruit is also bringing glory to God. It's bringing glory to Him. Uh, Andrew Murray has a really... Uh, great devotional called abiding in christ or abide in christ and uh he makes the point that that in thinking of this analogy of, of the vine and the branches you have a branch right uh think of a grapevine you've got a, a, an offshoot of the main vine and that offshoot is what is where the, the grapes themselves grow and the grapes as they grow where are they getting their their, uh, their nutrients from, the, the water and, and the sap and, the, and all of the, the things that cause it to grow. Where is that coming from? It's coming from the vine. We had a grapevine, or we have a grapevine still, in our backyard. And the boys, there had been a quite a long period of time it had not rained, and I was watering another part of my garden. And um, 
the boys wanted to, to water, help me water the garden. And they said, shouldn't we water the grapevine too? I said, we could do that. And the first instinct was to take it and spray the grapes and spray the leaves, right? But uh, as I've been learning uh, more and more about gardening, I've learned that when you, when you water with a hose, you don't, you don't water the leaves. In fact, that actually invites uh, uh, mildew and, and disease. You have to water the roots. You water the ground. And why is that? Because the fruit is getting the nutrients from the main vine. That's where it comes from. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so they're getting the nutrients from, from, from the, the main vine. So as the fruit is produced, who takes the credit for that fruit? Who takes the cre credit from that fruit? Is it really being produced by the branches? No, it's being produced by the main vine. So when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he means it, right? So we did some pruning. We cut off some branches, even some that had a few grapes, but it was just taking a lot of nutrients, but not producing any fruit. I cut it off and I would throw it to the side and throw it in our compost pile. And what would happen to that fruit? It would just shrivel up and die and the branch would die. And become brown and eventually turn back into dirt. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're not connected to me, you can't even bear fruit. You can't do anything. You perish apart from me. So as we bear fruit in our lives, and we talked a little bit in Sunday school about what bearing fruit looks like, as we bear the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, having the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives, as we bear fruit in sharing the gospel and disciple and see people coming to the Lord, we can't take any more credit for that than, than uh, a little branch can take credit for the fruit that's growing on it, right? We can't take any more credit for that than a, a cup can take credit for the, the, the liquid inside of it or a plate can take credit for the food that's on it. So as we bear fruit, as we abide in Christ and as we bear fruit, that fruit is really the fruit of Jesus. And this is how the world will know Jesus through our lives. As we bear that fruit, they see the glory of Jesus in that. And we point them to Him. So the fruit of Jesus in our lives ultimately brings glory back to the Father as the Son is glorified in us. And the Son points to the Father. He is glorified in us. And that's the purpose of His dwelling in us. That's the purpose of His Spirit in us that we might shine forth the glory of Jesus now, how, how do we bear fruit in practical terms? Well, two things that, that Jesus says to us in these passages that we looked at. We ask and we abide. We ask and we abide. We ask that the, that the Son may be glorified in us, that the Father may be glorified. So when we, we think to ask Him, for various things in our lives, we should ask ourselves, 
what is my desire here? Why do I desire this thing? Is this because I desire the glory of God? And let the Spirit guide you in that. Ask, how might I pray? What is your desire, Lord? Teach me how to pray. Teach me what I ought to pray for. Each morning, start your day before you do anything else. Start with prayer. And say, as Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. It's not what I want, but it's what you want. And just continue on your knees before God each morning and saying, Lord, teach me what you desire today. And, and stay there until you're, you're surrendered to that and willing that God, whatever you ordain for this day, I will embrace with joy and gladness because I, above all, want your will to be accomplished and I want you, you to be glorified in this world and I want you to be glorified in me. Start your day there asking the Lord to glorify himself in you, in your life. And the second thing is abide in his word. Abide in him and in his word. How do we abide in him? Through prayer, through awareness of him in us, right? How, how, how different would it be when we are um, in times of, of anxiety or fear or uh, going through um, trials and temptation or dealing with bitterness or anger? How different would it be if we are aware that Jesus is in me his spirit is in me. He's dwelling in me. I don't have to be mastered by this fear. I don't have to be mastered by this, this bitterness, anger. I don't have to be mastered by this lust because Jesus is in me. His spirit is in me. How different would it be if we were to, to, to meditate on that each day? Abide in him by meditating on that reality, that truth that Jesus has told us here. And abide in him by abiding in his word. Spending time in his word, meditating on his word, praying through his word. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will, you will ask what you desire and our desires will be conformed to his desires. And then he will answer and we can give praise as he answers and say, it's the Lord. It's him doing it. This is, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. So when we see the answer, we say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus doing it. When we see that uh, our, our lives bearing fruit, when we see him um, working through us in the lives of others, it's Jesus doing it. And he gets the glory. So this brings me uh, to the, the closing, a closing uh, section from that Romans that we read earlier that I want to read to you. And... Uh, This really particularly ministered to me this week. Uh, about a week ago, we found out that my mom had been, um, she's for the last several months, she's been, she's been dealing with increased pain and uh, fatigue, just unexplained uh, not feeling well. And she's gotten test after test and bounced from doctor to doctor. 
And finally, a rheumatologist had ordered a scan, a bone scan. And uh, last Friday, the bone scan came back and revealed that there's widespread metastasized uh, disease throughout her bones, which means that it's originating from a cancer somewhere else. She has an oncologist appointment on Tuesday. We're still not exactly sure. But when I first heard that, my mom has always been a very active uh, woman. Um, I was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a shock. And I was trying to process everything. And the Lord's been bringing me back to these verses uh, time and time again, particularly over the last couple of years. But in Romans 8, 28, as I, as I considered, you know, all these unanswered questions, what's, how long does she have? What are the next weeks and months going to look like? Is her pain going to get even worse? She hasn't been able to sleep for, for, uh, for weeks. And is her suffering going to increase? What's that going to look like? And just wrestling with all that, the Lord kept bringing me back to Romans 8, 28 and 29. And uh, Romans 8, 28 is a very famous verse. Most Christians that have uh, even a little um, knowledge of, of the scriptures know this, this verse. But we often stop at 28 and don't continue on to 29. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. We often stop there and don't continue on to verse 29, which tells us what that purpose is for us. That purpose is told to us in 29. It says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Remember in Hebrews, we read that, that the Son is the, the, the brilliance, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And now God's purpose for us in Christ is to be conformed to the image of the Son, that we might glorify Him, that the world might know the glory of Jesus through us, that we might know the glory of Jesus as the as the glory of Jesus is being worked in us and shaped in us. So that whether you're, you're dealing with uh, rejection you know, from uh, a friend or a loved one as you share the gospel with them and desperately desire them to know the Lord, or uh, whether you're, you're dealing with various uh, trials, you know, physical trials, or dealing with loss or grief or pain, we know that God is working all of these things in order for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, that He might be glorified in us. He might be glorified in us. So that's my prayer for myself and for each one of you, that Christ might be glorified in us as we Ask Him to glorify Himself in us and as we abide in Him and in His Word. Uh, I want to close with, with something I read uh, earlier this week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill 
all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we do ask that you would glorify yourself in this world, that you would glorify yourself in us. And we thank you, God, for this incredible, incredible reality and this promise that you have given to us, that your own presence is dwelling inside of us. And we ask that you continue to work in us, both to will and to work your good pleasure so that the, that the Son might be glorified in us. And Father, you might be glorified in your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.